Hey now, say now, you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. D-Boy, what's going on with you, Flip fella? Hey, I'm here. What's good? I'm good. You good? I'm great. Always good. Always great. Like I said last week, not going to complain during these quarantine times. Going to just make the best out of it and try to capitalize in other ways that other people are not capitalizing at the moment. A um, few quick announcements on my end. Street Roots Podcast, it'll be out tomorrow, which is Friday. Um, I'll be interviewing Israel Bear today, actually. A little bit later on today, I'll be interviewing him. And he is currently the overseer of the INSP North American Bureau. Um, For those of you that don't know what the INSP is, that's the International Network of Street Papers. Some of you may recall last summer when I went down to Germany and was a part of the INSP Summit. Um, which is the global summit. So that's not just North American based, obviously, because we had the summit in Germany. But um, as far as the North North American Bureau is concerned, Israel Bear does oversee that. He directs that. Um, He's the former executive director of Street Roots, where I work at. So um, he's definitely got some ties to Street Roots there. So I think it'll be a good interview. Um, He can give us some good insight in regards to you know, internationally, him going out to Glasgow, Scotland last, not last month, but I want to say it was like later February when he went out there. Um, But at the time, they were already really fighting this coronavirus thing. And America wasn't quite there yet in regards to this fight against coronavirus. So he kind of could foresee what was to come in America because he had to go to Scotland for a strategic planning session um, just right before things really kind of spiraled out of control here in our nation. So um, it's a few other things we'll talk about, the street paper movement amongst other things. Um, but like I said, he, he's a real good orator and he'll definitely have some gems that he will be dropping on there. So make sure to tune into that. Um, tonight, this episode should be out before then. I don't know if you'll hear it or not by then, but I will have my Thirsty Thursdays DJ session on Instagram Live. So definitely stay tuned for that because uh, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we, we, we're we vibing heavy. Um, a little bit of ratchet vibes too. So uh, yeah, I get in my bag a little bit on there and, and, and tend to play slaps and the people really love it and look forward to it. So we'll be doing that again tonight. D-Boy, you got anything? Uh... Man, yeah. I got some uh, music out, some new music on SoundCloud right now. I don't really push SoundCloud too much, but we discussed it a little bit last week, and we had a couple of things that caught some recent attention and success online. So D-Boy LTD with an I, not a Y, and you'll find a lot of the new music. Other than that, man, you know we're not doing shows right now. You know we ain't (laughs) traveling too much right now. So I'm pretty much posted and just working on my craft. There you go. There you go. Um, Well, let's dig right into this content, man, because there is a whole lot of it. Um, And I want to start off with this Jordan doc, obviously. I mean, I should say this Bulls doc, but Jordan was the face of the Bulls. But the One Last Dance documentary um, in regards to the dynasty that was the Chicago Bulls in the 90s in their final year playing together and winning that last championship in 98. Um, uh, It's been the talk of the town right now. Uh, For those of you that don't know, this doc actually, I believe, was supposed to come out during the offseason after the NBA season was over. But because we have no NBA right now, um, players 
led by LeBron James, advocated that ESPN release the doc earlier because we don't have hoops right now. And so um, that's kind of the hoop feel that we're all getting as hoop fans. And it's a 10-part docuseries. Uh, so far, only episodes one and two have been released. I thought they were phenomenal. Um, but I also have some bones to pick with Jordan and others in those first two docs. Do um, you? I do, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Um, I guess the first one straight up would be um, that final year when Scottie Pippen basically held out on getting his surgery and waited until after the summer to get his surgery, which obviously bled over in him and hit the recovery yeah. process mm-hmm. bled over into him not being able to play in the earlier portion of that season. And Michael Jordan came out on the documentary and said that Scotty was selfish for that. Um, for those of you that watched, you know that Scotty was the most unselfish. He, he, he was the most unselfish. He was grossly underpaid. Um, he was a, a top five player in the NBA throughout that run. Some even say top three. They say yeah, it, it was he was Jordan grossly underpaid. Yeah, I'm talking grossly. about 122nd in the league as yeah, far as salary. As a top five That's player. That's sick. Yeah, <laughs> and, and being number one on the Bulls in like three categories. Assists, rebounds, and something else. He was damn near first. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like he pretty much was the stat leader in everything but points yeah, for that team. Yeah. But but beyond that, where I thought Jordan was really selfish was I just thought it was more so hypocritical of Jordan to say that. Um because Jordan throughout his career has made self deci- selfish decisions. First and foremost, he freaking retired and decided to go play baseball. During that time that he retired and decided to go play baseball, they were on championship runs. And guess what happened when Jordan left? He left Scotty on an island by himself. Scotty thrived. He did what he could during that time period, but there's the no same. denying yeah. that there's a gaping hole missing on this dynasty and on this organization without Michael Jordan they being there. They could have did seven or eight They could have did seven or eight championships in a row. You don't know what that could have meant for Scotty Pippen, not just then, but especially now. Because although that dynasty is remembered for a lot of great things, imagine being able to say they won eight championships in a row. That, historically, there's no debate. There's no Jordan-Kobe debate. There's no Jordan-LeBron debate. There's no Scottie Pippen debate in regards to what his true value was to that team. Um, There's other ways that he would have gotten paid by way of endorsements and other things. And that's not to say that he still didn't. He eventually ended up getting his money after leaving the Chicago Bulls. But Jordan, there was never a time since Scotty joined that organization that he wasn't committed to it. There was a time since you joined that organization, although you were great, that you weren't committed to that organization. And then let's even fast forward to that very last year, that last dance season, when you had Jerry Krause, who was the GM over there in Chicago, who kind of had an ego of his own. And he and Phil Jackson didn't see eye to eye, so you knew that was going to be Phil Jackson's last season. Well, Jordan, you came out on the documentary and stated that if Phil is leaving the Chicago Bulls organization, then I'm leaving the Chicago Bulls organization. Guess who didn't come out and say that and was still dedicated and committed to the Chicago Bulls? Scottie Pippen. So for you to sit here and call Scottie selfish 
because he wanted to make more money and he wanted to move to the beat of his own drum for the very first time after being underpaid, after playing for the Bulls when you decided to retire and play elsewhere, and after still being willing to commit to this organization beyond the career of Phil Jackson as the Chicago Bulls head coach, there's no way you really can call the man selfish. Right. Did you did you see uh did you watch yeah, majority I watched of the it, yeah, What, yeah, what was your sure. thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I didn't look at it like that. I was seeing a lot. I watched Jordan big up Scottie Pippen a lot, for one, as far as saying how he was, you know, a pleasure to play with and um ultimately a solid teammate, you know, an unselfish player and blah blah blah. So I mean, I felt like out of what I watched that the unselfishness kind of outweighed the the selfish comment that he made about Scottie Pippen in mm. that particular instance. But part of the reason I like doing this podcast so much is because the different looks. And now that you say that, even with talking about the baseball, you know, the break and all that, like I do see that it was some selfish decisions made within that span. But I mean, at the same time, he gave his all to Chicago as well. I mean, I watched them go from a what what they explained on the damn show as a they was going under as far as the Chicago Bulls franchise. They was going under, and he re, not only revived it but made them the biggest thing in all of sports. Yeah. So with that being said, um, you know, you just never know what goes on behind the scenes and what kind of you know it had to be some bumping of heads somewhere in that whole run in that whole stretch, and I think. That was more so what we saw in that. Yeah, I mean, and, and and don't get me wrong. I definitely do want to acknowledge, and this is the first time that I've probably ever heard Jordan acknowledge, and this is me. Let's take into account I'm a younger dude. I was a four-year-old, four five-year-old baby during, by the end of that run, I was five years mm-hmm, old. At the mm-hmm. beginning of that run, I wasn't, even, of. I wasn't even born yet. So let's take that into account here. But we often don't hear from Michael Jordan anyway. Period. We don't hear Michael Jordan be vocal in regards to Scottie Pippen and really in regards to To just about anything. So the fact that Jordan has had the platform that he has had for such a long time and never decided, hey, how can I help Scottie out because of the contribution that Scottie gave to me having this platform and he hasn't really been, he hasn't necessarily publicly acknowledged much about Scottie up until now. I, I think it was great to actually see that from Michael Jordan because People need to know and understand the greatness of Scottie Pippen, especially people that come from my particular generation because my generation matters. Jordan knows that my generation matters because Jordan has an entire brand where he's constantly signing these young athletes to his brand, the most recent and prominent name being Zion Williamson. So Jordan knows the importance of the younger generation being informed, of the younger generation having influence in regard to the sport, obviously in regard to his brand, if we're kind of just speaking towards him individually, and just in regard to society as, just, a, go- as let, a whole. I don't think Jordan's a dumb dude. Let's and take think- it even more current, though, to, to right now, because I know you talked about, you know, Jordan having a platform and maybe could have helped Scottie Pippen more out throughout his career and whatever, but... When you see, you you just said Scottie Pippen to some was one of the top three NBA players at the same time Jordan was number one, correct? Absolutely. Did we see problems with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry? Are we hearing about that right now to this day? 
with two of the potentially two of the best players in the league? Well, I mean, I don't think the problem is Steph Curry and Kevin Durant more so than it is Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. But I'm just saying, still, it's still, uh, it's still one of those top two players that's in that, you know, in that having problems type of situation. Yeah. Did we hear about it? Let's take it even more personal. Did we hear about it a lot with Kobe and Shaq? Absolutely. Then you feel me? I'm, I'm talking about. But even still, we didn't hear even as far as Shaq speaking out at the funeral, like. He didn't. They didn't talk for a long time before he passed. They didn't you talk feel for me? a but, long time, but but do remember they did do what was it? Not this past All Star Weekend, obviously, but I think it was the All Star Weekend before that when they did that exclusive interview together and they they talked about their journey. They big right. up each other. Right. They did all of that. Right. So so what I'm saying is Jordan was before these dudes, mm-hmm. and it took Jordan a longer time to. Put everything to the wayside, and maybe it was because he knew this documentary was coming eventually. Or maybe, like know. you said, you—that might be the first time you publicly seen it. I'm pretty might, sure he big up Scottie Pippen before when? this thing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna have to yeah, do my yeah, research, I, yeah, but I'm definitely. pretty sure that's not the first when, time it I've came out. I've never seen it before. Yeah. After his playing days yeah. is what I'm saying. So it's like we don't hear much about. We hear Jordan. He's acknowledged his debates with. You know, with Kobe and his debates with LeBron in regards to who was minimally, minimally, very minimally, minimally, very minimally, but he did it nonetheless. I think he did that. I think he did. We just got to find it, and I'll find it for sure. Yeah, it definitely hasn't been put to the forefront. And being Mm -hmm. that it's Michael Jordan, I think that. And do you think? So tell me this: Do you think Shaq was? uh, Do you think Shaq was selfish for leaving the uh, the the Lakers because of the differences? Because I was at a time when they was in a championship run too, and what what could have came from that? Well, I don't think I don't think it was a matter of Shaq being selfish because it was just a matter of them falling out. I think the problem with Jordan is the fact that it was Jordan never a fallout. Scotty, no, not even that it was never a fallout. The fallout part is cool. The problem that I have with Jordan is the fact that he called Scotty selfish. Even in, even even in the fact that he called him unselfish so many times too. Like I said, I think he was he talking he was about that. that, that ex, I think he was talking about that exact you know situation. But, but overall, he made it very clear that Scotty was very unselfish and a pleasure to play with. But I would think by now, Jordan's mentality would be a little bit different about Scotty being selfish during that last year because. I would feel Jordan have had the opportunity to reflect on the fact that he took some time away from the game and decided to do other things. The fact that he stood firm in saying, Phil Jackson's leaving, I'm leaving. He didn't necessarily say, if Scotty was leaving, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. If Phil was gone, I really don't give a damn what Scotty is doing. I'm gone. And then, Jordan and, then, and Scotty and then still could have won together without Phil Jackson, I believe. And then look at somebody currently, because I try to think of like, you know, where do people learn from these previous mistakes and blah, blah, blah. And we look at something, again, more more current with Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant was playing when he shouldn't have been, and he ended up having more of a long-term injury than he should have had, correct? Yeah. It, you know what I'm saying? And right. it's like people would have called him selfish or said, we needed KD, whoop-de-whoop, and then it ended up costing him more. In the long run, because absolutely. he played when he damn sure shouldn't have been playing. Absolutely. Now, now you know what the, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And in the case of Scotty, I think he was very intentional as to why he didn't play and why he did wait to get that surgery later. So I get that. Mm-hmm. If I had to just kind of 
call out the small differences between like him and a Kevin Durant. Um, I think Scotty was very intentional in what he did. I think Kevin Durant just wanted to go out there and play ball as soon as the opportunity mm-hmm. presented himself presented itself. Excuse me yeah, for him. Scotty was play a little ball. more calculated. Scotty, Scotty was calculated with his. He knew what he was doing. doing he knew he yeah. could have got that surgery earlier, but he also was like, "Hey, I'm grossly underpaid." Obviously, this organization is a shit show right now, yeah. and the fact that Jordan has already said he's out of here. Phil is already saying he's out of here. I'm still here and have contributed largely, greatly, yeah. largely to this organization. And you're not even willing to commit to me, Jerry Krause, the guy who, when Jordan left, still stuck through it with you. The guy who, without me, Jordan doesn't get all of these rings. This organization doesn't get all of these rings. And you're not willing to commit to me as far as a, an extension is concerned. And you're talking about rebuilding and just letting this whole thing fall apart. I 100% understand why Scottie Pippen felt some type of way. Um, But I want to transition into some music and we'll get back to some sports here in a second because we got obviously a few more topics to talk about. But I want to talk about this Teddy Riley uh, and Babyface beat battle. Did you see... What what did you see of that? Because it was so much ruckus, obviously. (laughs) I seen a phone die. Okay. (laughs) I seen a, a hell of a lot of viewers... A, a whole hell of a lot. More than we've seen in any beat battle. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I Did mean, you see what I happened see. last Saturday before the rematch? Before the No. So last Saturday, Teddy Riley's audio was just atrocious. Yeah. To the point I, where, I did see that, yeah, actually. Yeah, to the, the point the, where yeah. they had to cancel yeah. the entire beat yeah. battle and reschedule it for Monday. Oh, geez. Monday. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, geez. And, 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 it's, and it's funny because it's like I tweeted it out. I said, man... When that happened on Saturday initially, it blatantly was the it was it basically was the mindset and the mentality of why young people get so mad when the old people start to take over social media. Teddy Riley, Babyface, both legendary, both have made classic records. And if you heard Monday's beat battle after the ruckus that took place on Saturday, my goodness. What a great beat battle it was. Mm -hmm. But on Saturday, Teddy Riley trying to do too much. He got backup dancers. He's got a DJ. He's got too much going on for an Instagram live battle, first and foremost. Second, Teddy, we're still in quarantine. So slow down, Turbo. Mm -hmm. I understand Mm -hmm. this is a big stage. I understand this is some legendary shit. And you want to produce at the highest level you could possibly produce on this stage. But, hey, man, it's just Instagram Live. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We just want to hear the records, Teddy Riley. And because they just made it such a a memeful, if that's even a word, type of a night and type of event, it just really showed why the youngsters get mad Mm -hmm. when the OGs kind of take over the social media game. Mm -hmm. But But it also shows me... How in tune the youngsters is with the OG still and what classic timeless music will do for you because I didn't expect that kind of attendance in a life from those two names and they yeah they did they, bigger they than anything I've everybody. seen. They, I mean, why do you think that was? Honestly, mm-hmm. I don't credit the youngsters for it. I actually more so say to me, I kind of look at it like this: this was sort of like the black christening of. Instagram no longer being the platform for the youth. Obviously, now I would say the platform for the youth is TikTok. But 
you remember the time where Facebook used to be more kids, more uh, for yeah. the youth. Yeah, now it's the more parents. For the now it's the parents' platform. Now it's the it's parents', the parents platform. platform. Yeah, I think the 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 corporate christening of Instagram no longer being the youth's platform is when Instagram and Facebook decided to join and and become one. That was more so of the corporate christening. That was more so Instagram and Facebook both realizing that, okay, the OGs are finally catching on to Instagram now. Mm-hmm. Let's join platforms so that way we can we can cross promote. We can we can we can work together essentially with what is now the older generation. And I think this particular beat battle was like I said, it was more so like the black christening, not the corporate christening, but the black christening for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instagram is no longer for the kids, man. Yeah, I'm seeing even when you do lives <laughs> and stuff, you be having OGs it's in there OGs. now. Everything. You know what I mean? Moms so, be yeah, in the variety. IG live. Yeah, like, yeah, I remember yeah. when my mom didn't know what the hell aunties, Instagram was. All Aunties, yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah. And not and saying so, that they old, but definitely... Like I said, they are parents and aunties and stuff 10, 20, 30 years on us. So it's like, and, yeah. And then it also reminds me that I ain't getting no younger because yeah. even listening to that beat battle, I could relate to, to a lot of, to them, a lot yeah, of those a lot records. Of I knew a lot of those records. Now mm-hmm. I'm still young enough to where a lot of those records, records I might not have been head. able to pin. Yeah. No, I knew. I was familiar with every record, but I wouldn't have necessarily been able to pinpoint that Teddy Riley and Babyface did those records had right, I not seen the right, battle. Right. But if but I heard like, the song, damn, yeah, but yeah. if I heard the song, I would know the lyrics. I would know the chorus at least because it's this music that I heard growing up that my parents used to like to listen to now, and that my now, OGs used to like to now listen to. Tell me to. this, tell me this. Do you think at some point, because of the fact of how life has gotten so big, and I, I would, I straight up say it like that. Life has gotten huge during this quarantine Absolutely. time. Life was not a big deal, in my opinion. You would see a pop up, barely ever click on it. The live usage has now gotten so big. I think it's gonna change into a situation of charging or some kind of live concert profit or something. Especially with the, with the knowledge that we have right now that we're looking at twenty twenty one as far as you know, live concert events and everything else resuming. And as I know, I'm thinking mid to late 2021. Right, right, right. right. so with seeing this kind of attendance in a live, you would have to think that it's some kind of profit margin in that. And the reason I say that is because, like you said, you got moms, you got aunties, you got grandparents, you got all kind of people now who are are signing up. If Mm -hmm. they did, I know for, for, for some people had Instagram and it was just inactive. Like our mom, she had Instagram for a minute, but you barely ever see her doing any kind of activity on Instagram. Now she's hitting me, send me the live, you know what I'm saying? And so you got those who have increased their usage and then you have those who signed up like, oh, Babyface and Teddy Riley going, I got to sign up and get this, you feel me? Exactly. And so I don't know if on a subscription base or something, but I definitely think that we're starting to see the value of live and that it's going to be some kind of structure to, to come soon. I, I, I well, bet you that. Well, I, I, think the, I think the very beginning part of that as somebody that has been going live myself and DJing live is I get cut off from live all the time because the music labels are already on top of the fact that a lot of these people are going live right now and they're playing music that they don't own the rights to. Mm-hmm. So now the music labels have connected with Instagram and kind 
contacted them to basically say, hey, if we catch people playing records that they don't own the rights to while these records are doing crazy numbers and streaming numbers or, or not even doing crazy numbers, but it's getting publicity by way of all of these viewers on Instagram Live, what if I have an old record that might have went under fizzled, a little yeah, bit, fizzled, fizzled out. out just because time is undefeated, father time is undefeated. It may have fizzled out, but now we bring all these OGs over here to Instagram. I'm DJing for these OGs. I'm playing blast from the past records that now these people are going to go to Spotify or not to go listen to, or they're going to go to Apple music or whatever digital streaming platform it is that they use. Also, if you look at people's Instagram stories, you can now put songs on the story without recording the actual record. Yeah. You could. Yeah. I know what you, you mean. could. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can so, add the song to the Instagram story by way of Instagram yeah, where yeah. you're going to get the actual which, record. I would which, imagine those thing, numbers that's turn thing, into something. That's the thing where I, I, I'm not sure right now. Um, I, I noticed in my streams, I looked at my streams for last month and I had some uh, between like 45 and 60,000 streams and it was categorized under Facebook. Now, I don't promote music through Facebook for one. I know Instagram and Facebook have merged. Right. And I've sometimes wondered when people when people post your song on a story and they get these views on their story, is that streaming? Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? I and is that Facebook stream because I've always wondered that, but I noticed that was an exponentially higher um category. 60,000 in, in this one part that this not included was played in the Dutch bro stores and nothing. This was literally just said Facebook. So even me, I have to do more in-depth research on, you know, where the actual pay is coming from because right. I would assume right now that that's what that is. And if to it take is it Facebook, even, you got to say that's Instagram too because they're merged. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact it might be categorized this under Facebook, Facebook because right, that's right, the right. hit, but that really might be Instagram yeah. plays. So even as an artist that's pretty hands-on with the business side of things, like I'm still learning as things transition really every day. And then to take it even a step further, in the grand scheme of things, you were right about the labels, you know, shutting it down. But it's not how you said it. It's not the labels contacting Instagram and saying, boom. I don't know if you've seen lately, but it was a big debate that Thizzler had with Filthy Rich about them uploading people's music and them, mm -hmm. you know, artists not knowing and getting paid for their music and they're doing all of these streams and Thizzler's getting paid, blah, blah, blah. So ever since I've been affiliated with Empire, who distributes my music, they have something on each of my songs, mm -hmm. which is called a content ID. The content okay. ID is is registered based on audio sound. Right. So, so, for example, I'm going to break it down. So I have a song that's called uh, jungle, right? Mm -hmm. Jungle was distributed through Empire. That's who put out my music to Spotify, um, Apple Music, Tidal, all these different platforms, right? So if I upload the song or the video for Jungle on my personal YouTube account, mm -hmm. even though I made the song, I'm the owner of the song, because it was distributed through Empire and Empire generated that content ID, it will block me from being able to 
make wow. revenue off of my own YouTube channel. Even though wow. I wrote the song, made it and everything, it'll literally show up and say, Empire has this content ID. So I'm still getting paid because Empire is who I'm distributed through. Right. But it, but that makes it to where Empire is making sure they get their 20% Absolutely. and I get my 80. So <laughs> yeah. the same thing that's happening, which is why you say if you play songs for a shorter length of time, it won't register because what it's doing is reading the audio and it's matching the audio with, with a certain content ID. ID. Wow. So it could be from Sony, it could be from, yeah. you know, whatever record label yeah. that owns these old-ass records, whatever. Atlantic, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as that content ID hits in the internet, they're shutting, shutting you off. Shutting you down. Wow. So that's just so that people have an understanding of yeah. what it is. That's exactly what's happening yeah, right now. It's so, deep, man. It's deep. deep. Yeah, it's, and that's why I said really it's tricky. Uh, you know, oftentimes you feel like you're missing out on money. You feel like it's different things because it's just so tricky and hard to understand. And until I had a video literally that froze on a couple hundred of views, and I'm like, it's no way that after this amount of time the video has only done 300 views or something. Yeah. So I go look, and sure enough. The video has been blocked due to my content ID being registered at Empire. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, bro. this game is, is getting real tricky, man. It's getting real tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I want to kind of transition out of the music thing. Ultimately, though, it was a great battle just, just to close it out with Babyface and Teddy Riley. Right, right. It was a great battle. I'm still going to go as far as saying I still think T-Pain and Lil Jon was the best. Not because of the numbers, obviously, mm -hmm. but because of... Entertainment. The, not not even just entertainment, relevancy but... Relevancy to your, your, what you grew up I on, I think too. it's relevancy, but I also think it's because of some of the technical difficulties that took place on Saturday. But it did show that how legendary Teddy Riley and Babyface was that they were able to still accumulate the numbers that they were able to accumulate on Monday after dealing with those technical difficulties and almost really an embarrassment which was on Saturday more so on Teddy's end but it was an embarrassment nonetheless um what you think about Gronk coming out of retirement I ain't surprised I mean it's Brady he playing with Brady that's yeah. that's that dynamic duo you feel me they've seen to always have a great relationship um obviously as we know things were on the decline in um you know New England yeah. and Gronk didn't have to play no more nor did he need to but I think Gronk enjoys the game and loves playing with Brady and I think it's still I mean as crazy as it sounds I think they still feel like they have unfinished business or something to prove I think that's two confident guys that feel like they could still go compete with the best of them and really go for a, a, another Super Bowl with the right uh, pieces around yeah. them and so um I'm not surprised and I think it's a it's not going to hurt the organization. No, you know what I mean? All, it's going to be a big help. And I think Grunt can still play at a high level and contribute. So I, I'm not surprised at it at all. Yeah, I mean, no, just I in agree. Short form. I agree. And I, I just think we're in a, a day and age, really amongst all sports, where basketball, we're more so seeing it from a low management front. Um, but also contracts are guaranteed in basketball. Um, there's more money being made by athletes playing the sport of basketball and football, where football, you really can't take time off and have a low management type of a situation because uh, if I'm correct, I believe they get paid like game by game. Obviously, you get a guaranteed portion of whatever the contract is that you sign, mm -hmm. but as far as you getting paid, fully whatever it is that you're owed and whatever it is that you signed on those dotted lines, you got to be out there 
and playing ball. So um, instead of it being low management in football, it actually is coming down to the point where, hey, maybe dude should just retire, take a year or two off. I wouldn't say take too many years off, but take a couple years off Mm -hmm. to let your body refresh, let your body hit the restart button, Mm -hmm. and then come on back. And play ball again, especially when um, you're this season. Didn't you got this much? Right. You know what it takes yeah, to get in football. Yeah, you, know you know what it, what it takes. Yeah, you, you, you know the yeah, regimen. And, and, and well, and, and I wouldn't tell anybody that isn't that season to retire in the first place. Earn your stripes before you retire. Right, right. Don't just retire for no reason. But we saw Marshawn Lynch do the same thing. Did he come back the same player? No, but he retired. Yeah. He, he got he his body back. right, <laughs> and he was able to come back and get paid to play the sport that he loved again. Obviously, we're seeing Gronk do it right now. So, like I said, the same way that I think the load management trend actually isn't a bad thing in basketball like many people do see it as, I would say guys retiring and being able to come back if they have the ability to do so and they've earned their stripes to be able to do such thing isn't necessarily a bad idea. I don't think it's for everybody, but... If you can afford to do so, I think it's well worth doing because we know how taxing just one football season could be on a person's body in regards to the contact and the physicality that the sport um, withholds. Uh, So, yeah, I I think they'll be a Super Bowl contender once again because they got other weapons. It's not like Brady and Gronk have to carry the team. You've got got other guys that are really good. That's if they have an NFL season. Very true. They got a draft coming up tonight, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll see, see who gets happened. drafted in the virtual it's draft. Tricky times. Um, let's get into taking L's real quick, though. And speaking of draft, um, I'm going to give myself an L this week. And the reason why I'm going to give myself an L this week is because this past weekend, the WNBA draft took place. Um, obviously the number one pick out of the University of Oregon by way of the Bay Area was Sabrina Ionescu. Um, She got drafted first pick of the draft by the New York Liberty. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, especially in regards to her dominance throughout her college career. But the reason why I'm giving myself an L is because I've lived in the state of Oregon and covered sports in the state of Oregon since Sabrina has been playing college ball and never once did I see the young lady play ball and she was right here in my backyard. Um, For me, I like I think that's a regret that I'll just have to live with for the remainder of my life. Even if there is some way somehow that I do get to see her play in the WNBA at some point. um, The fact that I didn't get to see her any part of her dominance at the University of Oregon because we may never see a college basketball career such as hers on the men's or women's side of the game, I got to give myself an L because I should have seen Sabrina play by now. There's no excuse for me not to have. Now, if I had to give myself an excuse, we all know that I cover basketball myself. And so basketball season is just as busy for me as it is for the athletes. 
Um, currently working for two schools, three teams, covering three teams, obviously, the men's basketball team over at Portland State, and then you got the men's and women's basketball team that I'm on the call for at Pacific University. So when you take that into consideration, I am a pretty busy dude during basketball season. Before that, I was covering the Ducks and the Beavers, but I was covering on the men's side when I had that podcast for the Oregonian. Before that, I had a radio show where I was covering some Ducks basketball, but at that time I was more so covering the Portland Trailblazers on an NBA front. So I've gotten to cover all these different sports at all these different levels during the time period that Sabrina was here in the state of Oregon. But I still believe some way, somehow, by hook or by crook, I should have gotten out to go see the girl play. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I, I should have just made it happen. I'm not going to give myself an excuse, although I know how busy I truly am during basketball season, but I'm not going to give myself that excuse. I should have seen the girl play. I think it's going to be a quite overwhelming for her, too. She's going to thrive and succeed and be great, but I think New York is a big move for her. Coming from Oregon and especially just with everything going on, intensifying it, that being one of the leading places for the coronavirus outbreak, the like I said, everything being up in the air as far as schedule and how things are going, I think that is going to be a hell of a transition for her. And I, I agree with you that being as close as we were, we shouldn't have let that. I mean, I, that was greatness right in our backyard. Right in our backyard. We, right in our back. Now, now I think it, she'll, know. I definitely think she'll be able to handle it out there. I do too. Um, like I said, yeah, I just yeah, think yeah. it'll be a more difficult than normal transition with everything going on and her coming know. off of her toughest year of her life as she's mentioned many a and time she killed it during you know that time mean? period and i think that's gonna kind of fuel her into really wanting to dominate at the wnba level and the only thing i will say is she is still from the bay area born and raised in the bay area so i think that she will kind of thrive in another big market as she was raised in a big market herself um you got anything for taking nails i sure do bro um Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman, she took an L for me. She Talk took an L. Oh, my goodness. Have you heard about it, for I, one? I have, but I want to hear it from you. Okay, well, she got into a very, very big-time debate with uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN. It was a live, basically a live conversation, and it was so detailed and misguided that I won't get into it all, but the grand scheme of things is that the mayor of Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman, has basically said that she is ready to resume the casinos and basically ready to reopen Las Vegas like yesterday. She's been ready. She thinks that it's more of a Hunger Games or survival of the fittest approach and that basically only the strong survive and, and that this is a terrible way. It's basically insanity to keep people home and keep... Vegas shut down for right now and like I said amongst a lot of misguided information and and nonsense if you ask me um Anderson Cooper tried to give the mayor uh, a visual of how this thing spreads and how intense it is and you know easily transmitted it is and her response was well this isn't because the example was from China how it was spreading in China mm -hmm. well this isn't China this is Las Vegas that was her response, which was... No, we're, we're talking about humans here. We're talking about humans here, no matter where you're at. And even furthermore, people are coming from everywhere to, to go Las to Las Vegas. Vegas. And I, I mean everywhere. I didn't been to 
Vegas a hundred times, damn near literally. And you're seeing tourists from everywhere, China, any part of Asia, the United States, everywhere. I mean, the islands, like you're seeing people from every, everywhere. And so really she had nothing strong to stand on. I urge you guys to go look at the, the live debate. I mean, the, the video is everywhere. I don't know if you want to call it a debate or a discussion, but it had Anderson Cooper so twisted. He had to remove his glasses, wipe his, he was baffled. <laughs> he was literally baffled. And, um, yeah, she just doesn't think that she thinks that she wants to have a control group to see how many people die without social distancing because she thinks that is basically over the top and going too far for this extensive shutdown in Las Vegas. And like I said, to not have any factuals, it, it, it just her responses were so bad and she looked so misguided that I mean the world could see it. Like I said, do your research, but she definitely took the L for me. Yeah, most <laughs> certainly. Most certainly. I'll definitely be looking into that story a little bit more. I did see it. I did see more so like the headlines. Mm -hmm. Um I haven't really, really dug too deep into it. Sometimes I just don't have the capacity to dig deep in BS like that. Sometimes you could just see the headline and be like, yeah, all right. I, I, I'm going to stay away from that because my energy is in a different place. And, you know, I, I have to be strategic in regards to not just what I consume, but when I consume it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I totally feel you on her taking yeah. an L there. Yeah, she took an L. Um, but real quick, one last quick topic that, that I want to bring up. Usually we end with taking L's, but um, I posted something on Instagram uh, maybe four or five days ago. I don't know. But essentially it was a post of a plethora of classic basketball movies. And um, I was just essentially trying to take a poll and, and, and create a discussion amongst folks on what the greatest basketball movie of, of all time was to them. Um, now, I don't necessarily want to ask you that same question because obviously that's more personable for everybody. But um, sports obviously have a great impact on society. The sport of basketball in particular has had a great impact on society, whether it be by way of the NBA, by way of college, or by way of movies. So my question to you, D-Boy, isn't necessarily what's the greatest basketball movie of all time, but which basketball movie do you think has had the greatest societal impact? Oh, man, that's tough. That's hard. I've been thinking about it. I've been giving it some thought overnight, and um, I can only answer this from a personal standpoint, and the reason being is because when you talk about societal impact, I can only go from my experience, the society that I grew up in and some of the challenges that Absolutely. I faced from athletes, per se, since we're talking about basketball movies. And so not the best basketball movie, but the most societally impacted one for me or socially impacted one for me would have to be Coach Carter. And the reason being is because time and time again, I've seen so many brilliant, phenomenal athletes that didn't make it to the next level because of their grades. I mean, let's just be honest. That's that's damn near number one for us. Low test scores and, you know, average to below average, more so below average grades, which hindered some of the best athletes that we've seen, Yeah, you know, either make their road to 
college or the pros either that much harder or not at all. And even though I was a baseball guy, I was victim of that. I, I thought I was going to take a shortcut and not have to do certain tests because I committed to a historically black college and then ended up backing out of that situation. And because I didn't take the correct test that I needed and was probably more so at about a 2.5 grade point average at that time, it hindered me from a lot of looks that I could have got based off of my talent because of the grades. And as we know, Coach Carter was a stickler for the classroom and, you know, really just acts of kindness and mannerism and all of that kind of stuff. And so um, for for me, that was that was one of them. And secondly, um, in which is my favorite basketball movie of all time, I got to say he got game because that actually exposed more in depth, more than just the educational part of it in correlation to sports, but the actual temptation. Um, this has been music for me, but I've been recruited by labels who've had me pull up in LA and had three and four girls waiting for me already to try to help sell a yeah. situation similar to what we've seen Jesus Shuttlesworth in that movie deal with recruiting trips with naked ladies already waiting for you. And this is set up in-house mm -hmm. by some of the staffing, you feel me, at these schools. And so, um, you know, with a father like his who, who went to jail, you know, from dealing with problems that started off and surfaced in home between a mother and father, um, that was just a lot of real life experience right. in that movie. It was more gritty. And so those would be the two that I pick. And obviously, like I said, He Got Game is my favorite basketball movie. So I like that it it covered both to the fancy cars and the agents and to, you know, on yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it covered a lot of it. So I would have to say those two. No, absolutely. I hear you on that. And it's interesting that you say those two because I say those two as well. Really? For some of the same reasons, but for some different reasons. But before I even, get, in, before I even get into those reasons, the reason why, <laughs> reason, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But the reason why I even asked this question from a societal standpoint was because I had a former teammate of mine. I played high school ball with him. I played middle school ball with him for a year. He goes by the name of Zorm Dean, white kid, grew up Mormon um, and, and, you know, grew up in a suburban neighborhood. And he and I actually ended up growing to, to be really good friends, ended up growing to be basketball teammates and brothers ultimately, ultimately, because we know in sports and being teammates, you often tend to grow and form some type of a brotherhood there. But for him, the movie Glory Road had the most impact because of the storyline of of this this team at Texas Western that was predominantly black that was pretty much dominating the college basketball landscape but got sidetracked because there were a lot of uh, racial tension that came towards them because at the time basketball was a predominantly white sport obviously that ain't the case no more but in in the case of Zorn being a white guy and growing up during his years of playing ball, playing with majority black guys on our high school team and even on our middle school team, at least the best players were black. That's for damn sure. Mm -hmm. He was grateful that a movie like Glory Road and that a, a, a university like Texas Western was able to overcome what it did to kind of bring together and diversify the sport of basketball, even though they had to face a lot of racial tension to be able to do so. Now, you spoke to Coach Carter 
Um, obviously, for me, I would agree to an extent because Coach Carter took place in the Bay Area and we're from the Bay Area. But for me, it's more of a little bit of a different landscape. Yes, I have dealt with the, the academic issues as well. I've been on academic probation before. I know what it's like to be sweating at the end of the semester, hoping to, to crack that 2.0, to, to be able to have eligibility to play next the following season or remember. the remainder of that season. Like I've been there before, so I get it from that front. But where I also kind of relate to the Coach Carter friend, oh my goodness, I forget his name, but the, the player on Coach Carter who was really good, and looking to, to further his career in basketball, uh, that dated Ashanti. What was his name on the movie? He dated Ashanti in the movie, though. It's slipping my mind right now. But essentially, he dated Ashanti in the film. He had gotten Ashanti pregnant. And oh, yeah. You, I know you what you're right? talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, damn near was Coach Carter. No, no, no. Uh, it wasn't no, his no. son. It wasn't Damian Carter. Oh, uh, why am I slipping? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't look this up coming about, into yeah, this, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I just remember the storyline of the movie. But um, whatever his name was. Timo Big black Kuh, dude. Black dude. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he was dating Ashanti in the film. But anywho, um, he was having a baby. And he more so had to deal with um, having to make decisions, essentially, on trying to further and advance his basketball career. And being a family man. Or also being a family man or and quitting basketball, even contemplating quitting basketball because he had a child on the way and he had to get a job and he was going to have to raise his provide. child and provide, essentially. And I've been there before. My senior year of college, my firstborn was, was born during basketball season. So I understood in regards to fatherhood, especially black fatherhood in particular, where we get put in these positions to have to make decisions on whether to continue to play the sport or whether, damn, I might have to go back home and, and, yeah, who and knows if you would have tried to play harder to go overseas or whatever. Who would have you known know, a, I mean? a lot. But yeah. but but even in the midst of that season, it was like, you know, things turned out for me in a way that I don't regret, you know, being able to get a radio show right after and, and, and still be able to do something I love. But absolutely, playing overseas ball was definitely in the question for me because I was a good college player. I was an all-conference player. Um, in that season, I remember having to play a game and during the game uh my now wife going into labor and having to fly out after the game from Oregon to California and making it 20 minutes before my daughter was born I remember my coach kind of harping on me making sure I got back because like I said I was one of the better players on the team and you could easily kind of get caught up in having an entire child that you're responsible for and staying in California. So we had to find out things that I never even knew existed in regards to the NCAA, where they actually have funding for young fathers to be able to fly out and fly them back to their university to be able to continue out playing ball and things like that. So a lot of this stuff I never even knew existed. And I feel like a lot of young black people don't know exists in regards to certain resources. And it sort of creates an outlook on black fatherhood that in a way may or may not genuinely reflect what we feel or what we're going through on the inside. And then also thinking about Timo Cruz. I left California initially to come to the state of Oregon because 
I felt like there were a lot of distractions in my hometown and in my own backyard. Timo Cruz obviously was affiliated. Um, he had a cousin who was murdered on that particular film. I, I, I have a lot of childhood friends and people I grew up with that had gotten murdered during my stint growing up in California. So one of my biggest reasons for coming to the state of Oregon to play college ball, because I could have stayed in California, was I kind of wanted to get away from some of the madness that took place in the inner city while I was trying to play ball at the same time because of my affiliations to certain people. And so um, fortunately, I was able to get out in the nick of time, never got in any trouble. Um, never, you know, I, my street cred is still A1. But in order for me to be able to dial all the way in on playing the sport of basketball, there were some things I just felt like I had to get away from. So just kind of the inner city experience was definitely um, one that I could I could relate to on Coach Carter. And then, I, like I said, I would agree with He Got Game. I said on the post that it was my favorite basketball movie of all time. And just knowing what Ray Allen dealt with, Jesus Shuttlesworth um, dealt with, in regards to, you know, his parents, I mean, my, you know, his parents, not just splitting up, obviously his mom passed away, but passed away in a dispute between him and his father. Like, I know what it's like to see disputes with parents, obviously not to the extent of either one of my parents dying. They're both very active and present in my life today, um, but they're no longer together. You know what I mean? So growing up and seeing those parental disputes and growing up and being able to 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 play ball with your childhood friends. And I got to play ball with my AAU teammates and we got to grow and play ball into high school and, and, and really have some success in that region that I grew up in out there. Obviously, Jesus Shuttlesworth had more national success, but the relatability to it, I know what it's like to go on a recruiting trip. I've been on plenty of recruiting trips as well. So um, that movie certainly was very relatable to me as well. And then I just thought in regards to why it was my favorite mute movie beyond it just having a societal impact. I just think it's hard to top a Denzel movie first and foremost. And the fact that Ray Allen was able to act in such an elite way with an elite actor that he co-starred with, which was Denzel Washington. It was just all the way around from a societal impact, from an acting front. These dudes were just A1 and they were elite. And so that's my favorite all-time movie. But yeah, for me, societal impact would be those two films, but I understood what my boy Zorn was saying. And I think even for the white community as a whole, Glory Road had a particular impact because, you know, they were able to see and experience things in a different lens. And some of the privileges that we all have today as athletes wasn't necessarily the case back then. Facts. I definitely hear you, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with, like you said, the same movies, and I do like the insight from different reasons, but I got to change the narrative real quick. Sad, tragic, live right now, straight from the music world, man, we just lost Fred, the godson, to the oh, coronavirus, man. man, and me and you been talking about it. Yeah. You stumbled across his music and got to see the lyrical genius that he was, and uh, some great tributes have been out to him in his process of fighting it. Um we know that uh, Fabulous did a cold summer challenge and it gained a lot of attention, particularly one that was dedicated to uh, Fred the Godson from one of his close friends, man. And he just 
succumb to his uh, sickness today, man. So wow. rest, rest in, in peace, peace to Fred. Fred the Godson, man. For That's sure. tragic. That's bro. tragic. Hey, take this COVID nineteen stuff serious, man. This is a real thing. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's a real thing. We really got to take our health serious during Damn. these times. And he he was certainly a fire flame spitter. Um, I never really heard much of his music, but I did see his freestyle with Funkmaster Flex on Hot 97. And boy, could he gas. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate because we heard that he was getting better. It was reports out there that he actually was getting better. And then now hear that he succumbed to COVID-19 is just absolutely fucking tragic. So Damn. rest in peace, Fred, the godson. Hate to have to end the podcast on such a somber note. But like I said, just just cherish the time that we have here and, and really try to take Damn. care of yourself and do everything that you can. Because... <laughs> This is a real pandemic that we have going on. This is no fugazi. This is no bullshit. This is a real thing. So um, keep listening to, to government orders. Um, keep doing what you have to do to make sure you're safe and to make sure that you're healthy because we want to see as many of us make it through this pandemic as humanly possible. Um, with that being said, make sure to give it your all in whatever it is that you do. And we are going to leave you all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go in.